Freight Efficiency with NACFI's Mike Roth and Friends. In episode 19, we're joined by Steve Ernest, Vice President of Engineering for Jacobs Vehicle Systems, where we talk about the evolution of Jacobs over the past 60 years, variable valve actuation, cylinder deactivation, a little on electric trucks, and working with universities and other groups to advance technology. And Steve reminds listeners that diesels will be a viable option for many years to come. Joining me today is Steve Ernest. He's Vice President of Engineering at Jacobs Vehicle Systems. Hello, Steve. Thanks for, for joining us on this podcast today. Oh, thanks for having me. So let's uh, let's start with just a little bit about uh, you know your background and experience and uh, and leading up to the to the work you do now at Jacobs. Okay. Well, I uh, started my career at a, a little kind of custom electronics house just out of out of school, and I worked there for about three years, and uh, then transferred over to uh, Cummins um, Electronics. Uh, it was a part. It was a subsidiary of Cummins engine company back in the 90s and the 80s um, and I worked there about six years and worked on a bunch of fuel injection controls and so forth natural gas controls all kinds of stuff um, even some military projects and then uh, basically I moved out here to uh, the east coast to work for Jake's vehicle systems um, 24 years ago so I've been I've been here ever since wow I, I uh, we, we might have crossed paths at Cummins Electronics. I was uh, doing some heat exchanger work back uh, a couple decades ago uh, or more uh, there. Um, so tell us about Jacobs in particular. I mean, we all kind of uh, have a sense of, of what uh, the history of the company is and, and what you do, but, you know, kind of where has it evolved in the last, um, you know, decade and, uh, uh, you know, kind of what, what value does the does your products bring to the diesel engines of today? Okay. Well, we're about to have our 60th anniversary uh, starting next year because uh, since 1961, we've been making uh, what most people know as the Jake Brake um, and engine retarders and various flavors of that. Um, so we've been doing that, and uh, probably long around in the mid-'80s, they started playing around with uh, variable valve actuation of one sort or another. Actually, our uh, two-stroke brake, a uh, couple of iterations of that started out in the in the mid eighties there. And we kind of revived, revived that back in, in now 2010. Uh, I guess I went out there for, to work on electronics for a full, fully variable, um, variable valve actuation system. And, uh, so I was there doing that and controls work for, for quite a while. Um, and so we've spent a lot of time. If you think about the engine brake, it's just the basic engine brake. It is a VBA device. Uh, so we've been doing that for almost 60 years, uh, but the fully variable was really what kind of drew me out there, and we worked on that. We continue to work on that. We believe we've got a uh, launch here coming up in a couple of years. Uh, we basically spent tons of time on the uh, on the heavy-duty engine because that's where our, our money's been made for 60 years, and so I guess after a lot, a lot of uh, analysis and things like that, a lot of testing. We've probably been on, I don't know, 25 different engines. Uh, we basically determined that it's worth about 2% fuel economy uh, and, and 5% in certain, you know, regions and so forth. But uh, that that really just wasn't enough to pull it onto the engine. So where we're putting that now is on the really super big engines uh, where they 
just run 24 hours a day and has a gen set or some sort of pump or something like that, and they're just drinking fuel all day long. So uh, one or two percent uh, really pays for itself fairly quickly because their biggest expense there isn't even the the engine; it's the fuel that that's drinking, that's being drink. Huh. <laughs> so yeah. the biggest expense there is really just the fuel that, that it's drinking. Um, so we've been then, I guess, as a part of a VVA effort, we've kind of done a million different little variations of it, and that's really where our emissions uh, work is has started from. And so we've taken the fully variable effect and kind of made it a two-position kind of things, very similar to the original Jake break. Um, in, in actuation, and so you either get, you know, this actuation or that actuation, um, and so we've got flavors of that from late intake valve closing to early exhaust valve opening, um, and then uh, fully uh, cylinder deactivation where we shut off the valves completely uh, on the overhead, and that's really what uh, we've been working on the last probably, I would say, 10 years, um, just because you get the, with, with just kind of a two-position actuator, you get about 80% of the benefit of full VBA uh, with, you know, about 20% of the cost. So it's, uh, it's really, uh, I think we feel like it's a big win for the, for the engine companies that throw a little bit more variability into their engine. So that is kind of an on off. That's an on off. Um, but by cylinder. Um, it depends on the, the device, but, but yeah, we, for cylinder deactivation, for example, we've got, um, individual actuators that are actually built into the, the bridge across the valves and you can either turn that on and then you get the valve motion of both the valves and basically the cam translates its motion through the rocker uh, into the bridge or you kind of add some oil into the system that feeds through the rocker arm into that bridge and that ends up disconnecting the bridge so the rocker still moves up forward and the motion is just effectively absorbed into the bridge and the, and the valves don't open. So, yeah, we can do that um, depending on how you set up your solenoids. You can set that up to do, you know, three at once if you want to shut off half the engine on a six-cylinder, or uh, we've got it. So uh, we've, we've been doing demonstrations recently with uh, in combination with Tula uh, where we've got that control on individual cylinders. And it is it is really fast enough so that it can do cycle by cycle control of the individual cylinders. So uh, you can really make the thing dance there if you have the right software. It's really interesting how we've gone from, you know, mechanical engines to electronic engines. And then now this is sort of a electronic mechanical, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, uh, think about this. Well, first of all, I have a pretty simple mind around engines and power uh, Steve, so I'm trying to understand it myself, but also to, to put it in context. And, you know, it does seem like a real natural progression from braking, right? So, you know, the yeah. company in the classic Jake brake was all about, you know, using the engine and saving the uh, foundation brakes for safe and, and better operation. And here, uh, here it's expanding into just a, a different form of, of kind of the same thing. Right. It's just uh, you've got an engine there that's, that's you know, robust and it, it does the job all the time. You can, since 2007, uh, when they started adding in after treatment on heavy duty, um, the, the equation kind of changed. Before it was just, you know, can we just do fuel economy? Is that going to be better or can we improve emissions? All those answers were yes, but all of them were like it would do each of, that, each of those things a little bit. 
Um, of course, we we thought, man, it's we had all those things up. It's a great deal, but uh, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, but when, now that there's after treatment on there, they just tacked on an extra, you know, five or six thousand dollars onto the back of that thing. So now we've got a little bank there. Is the way we we kind of look at that. So if we can add something to the engine, that then you know you, you have to add a little expense there. But then if you can reduce the size of your after treatment because you're always keeping it hot. Um, now you can take, you know, some of that $5,000, make it $4,000. I'm sure the after treatment guys are going to be thrilled with me saying that. But, you know, <laughs> basically apply that to the engine uh, or some subset of that, then then it's kind of a win for everybody. The overall cost hopefully goes down. Um, the the packaging's a little easier because now you've got a smaller after treatment system. Uh, and then you kind of put this thing on the engine. And once you have it on the engine, I guess what we've seen initially was, hey, let's throw some fuel injection on the thing. It gives you a little more control. And it was um, just kind of more of a reliability thing. Then it became, wow, look at this fuel economy you can do. Oh, look at this other little change you can make with the software and the cruise control. And, you know, just on and on and on. People have added to it for, for the last 30 years. The same thing is going to happen, we believe, when you throw a little bit of uh, movement on the valves, that the, you know, the cam rocker and valves have been, pretty much the same kind of system since the diesel engine was invented. And it's just like the last little bit of variability that hasn't been put in there. So if we can put that in there, uh, you get a little more flexibility. And, you know, now you've got at least times two the things you can do with with that engine if you take all those other variables and turbos and so forth in, in, in play. So we're really talking about – are we really talking about um, cylinder, cylinder deactivation here? Um, where, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, you know, we had, so let's say we have a, you know, a standard six cylinder inline truck engine, cause that's kind of what, you know, NACV spends most of our time and I do, mm-hmm. uh, then you can basically to keep the after treatment hot, or if you don't need it, you know, we've got trucks that are incredibly aerodynamic and some of the, um, you know, flat land, um, cruising is consuming, you know, half of the horsepower of the engine, right? But yet you still need all of the engine to get over and climb the Rockies. So are we talking about, you know, just completely shutting off part of the engine when it is not needed for, for power and to keep that heat up for the uh, after treatment? Is that, is that really what we're talking about here? Yes, exactly. And so like your organization has been, you know, pushing fuel economy for, for all these years and there's a thousand ways to do that. And one of those ways is aerodynamics. So now they're in the low rolling resistance tires and, and all the rest. And so, now it doesn't take a whole lot, you know, <laughs> comparatively to push it through the air. Um, and so when you are in that cruise mode, um, if you're running all six cylinders and they're all kind of at a lower load, they actually start, you know, or going downhill, for example, when you, just before you need the jake brake, you're just pumping air uh, right through the whole after treatment and cooling it off. And that then means you have to, you know, the, the controls have to do something to kind of run the engine inefficiently to um, get the temperatures back up so that it's keeping things clean. So uh, this allows you to just shut off, you know, some number of cylinders and then the remaining number of cylinders, so you're running at, at 30% load or something, the remaining number of cylinders are each going to have to work harder, which means they're going to run a little hotter. And then the overall amount of air flowing through the engine gets cut by, whatever that fraction is that you've shut off. So it's it's lower flow and hotter flow, so it does keep the, the masses of all the after treatment a little warmer. And then the, you get the side benefit of the just fuel economy generally uh, goes up uh, in those when you're not firing all those cylinders. 
Yeah, you get the basic friction and it becomes a smaller. So um, how, uh, you know, a geeky kind of question for you. I mean, do you shut off the same cylinder every time or do you go through a uh, an algorithm or how how does all that work where, you know, like hours of, you know, you got engine hours, right? But in this in this scenario, do you try to keep the same amount of hours per cylinder or is it not that simple? Well, that's, I mean, first of all, I'd love to geek out with you all day long about it, but um, <laughs> so we've, we're kind of in that exploratory phase uh, where we're, we're looking at that. And initially we just thought, oh, we'll just make it real simple and cheap and we'll only put it on three cylinders and we'll just shut them off with one, with one solenoid. Boom. That's probably the, the cheapest and most balanced solution you can have. Uh, but then those three cylinders are going to act a certain way and, you know, they may wear differently uh, than the other three cylinders that are firing all the time. Uh, one of the things we've, we've learned since running all the time is, well, you know, you got to keep those cylinders a little warm for good combustion. So you really want to just kind of shut them off for X number of cycles. It kind of depends on ambient temperature and all kinds of other stuff. Uh, and then you, you turn them back on once in a while. One of the things that you have to think about is you want to effectively turn each cylinder into a little spring. So you capture air in there. You basically shut off the the valves while there's a little exhaust air in there so that it acts as a spring. That way the piston can come up and push against something and then get pushed down. If there's not kind of – if there's not some pressure in there, like after a little while the, the air will kind of blow past the rings a little bit. Um, if there's not pressure in there, then you end up – as the piston goes down, you're going to pull a bit of a vacuum, and that's going to mm-hmm. suck some oil up from – through the rings going the other direction and then you're going to as soon as you start firing that cylinder it's going to have a bunch of oil mist and stuff in there so you really don't want to do that so uh, as as we kind of apply this to different engines we found that there isn't one rule it's like it's not oh it's 18 cycles that's the magic number it depends on that particular ring pack what kind of compression ratio they have and you know 20 other factors so at each each one of them has to be kind of calibrated with a cylinder pressure sensor to to see where that optimal point is. So um, it, that's, that's kind of some of the fun of, of uh, exploring through this stuff is we're, we're literally, I guess, for at least me, I'm learning about base things on the engine that, you know, I'm sure the analysis guy know for sure. But um, for me, it's, it's still kind of a, a little bit of discovery going through of uh, different modes. And I think, like I say, once we throw this stuff in there, other really smart people will kind of find all kinds of new ways to apply it, and, and you know, will be yeah, because kind of different parameters. Right, right, right. Because some people would say that, well, diesel engines have reached their maturity, right? There's nothing new yeah. to invent on them, you know, kind of game over, and you know, they're they're where they are, and you know, we at Naxi and you know, lots of other people just keep and super truck programs, right? With with uh, you know, some of these super truck programs getting to. 50, 52, 55% brake thermal right. efficiency. I mean, some, some yeah. kind of unheard of sort of areas of performance. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the opportunities um, don't end. Um, but while I brought up electric, I mean, you know, the buzz sort of everywhere is uh, of electric trucks, electric this, mm-hmm. electric that. Um, here at NACTI, we're even doing a lot of work on the electric piece. I mean, from a, you know, Jacob's pretty engine dominate you know dominant i mean what are you guys hearing seeing um you know i think we're probably on the same page that we'll have diesel engines for some time but there will be a movement there'll be a movement to sure 
you know, electric in many cases. I mean, how are you guys viewing it, and um, what are you seeing from your customer base? Well, we see a lot of press out there of, you know, I think nobody wants to be viewed as, oh, we're going to stick with diesel engines for the long haul, and we're doubling down. And we all see that electric uh, vehicles are, are getting better in capability, batteries are getting better, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, that those Batteries are, you know, using electricity that's generated somewhere if it's a plug-in. Um, so, and there's just applications that, you know, just aren't going to be able to, at least in the current state of the technology, aren't going to be able to just be a switch over to electrics. I'm sure there's, you know, school buses, those are being, uh, I know, put out these days, and that's a perfect application where you're out, you run 40 miles, you drive around, start, stop all day long, and then you go back and charge for five hours go back and pick all the kids up and then it charges overnight. So that's a, uh, you know, kind of an out and back, any of those out and back applications, delivery trucks, things like that, that are medium and light duty certainly will go electric first. Um, and I think that you, you see like Volvo was launching one uh, I saw in the press uh, a couple weeks ago that they were going to, they had plans to launch this before the end of the year. And it, of course my first thought being a diesel guy was, yeah, does anybody have plans to buy it? And so <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of, you know, is it going to be feasible at some point, you know, is, or is it going to be economical where somebody's going to decide to buy that? And yeah, they don't have to buy diesel fuel anymore, but is there some big premium that they're going to have to pay to get this electric vehicle? And yeah. you know, people are going to have range anxiety and all these other things. Um, but I, but I'm confident they can overcome that stuff in lots of years of continued research. And the more, you know, there's, billions of dollars being put into it now so people will make breakthroughs and so forth but we believe that uh, some applications will continue to be diesel uh, some of these really long haul things uh, one of the reasons we're kind of getting into these larger engines because we feel like those are applications that are going to uh, still remain diesel for a long time but then kind of as a bridge i think one of your talks talked about the the messy middle uh, between what we have now and what we have for a full electric in, in the future will be, I think it makes sense. And some of the super trucks were doing this to have a hybrid um, solution. And even the, like the Nikola truck is, is a, uh, you know, it's electrically driven, but it's, it's got this fuel cell in, in, inside of it. So it's kind of a hybrid. I can certainly see a small diesel engine uh, being that battery charger on, on uh, some vehicles going forward. And so, as we look at our VVA stuff and all of our little things that help out emissions, we can certainly apply those to those engines as well, kind of as, as part of that messy middle. Right. Actually, a very, very, yeah, very good point. So you've got like the classic uh, ICE engine applications, but, you know, we've also got uh, hybrids and, you know, <laughs> natural gas. You know, we talk about renewable natural gas and that messy middle and so forth. And, and, you know, there are, there are, uh, uh, clearly, duty cycles. You think about. I was with a, a fleet a couple of weeks ago that that you know 150 trucks and all of them are run by team drivers, and so they haul east east coast to west coast and then they bring uh, vegetables back. And so wow. you know that truck is is running 20 hours a day, <laughs> 21 right. hours a day, and so no, no time uh, to charge. <laughs> no no time to charge. So the 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 beauty. I mean, the, you know, I love I love North American heavy commercial trucks uh, in the trucking industry. It's 
it's uh you know i curse it because it's so complex and i love it because it's so complex <laughs> because there's there's always a there's always a customer for a technology uh the question is how many i guess when you think about the business of being in the market but um you know there's so much diversity um in it um you know so uh in preparing for this i, I want to ask you a question about working with universities and and research companies because i know uh, you know, engine manufacturers and then like Jacobs, you guys oftentimes get in, you know, share R and D with, uh, you know, with, uh, universities or technology centers or, or, or all of that. I mean, what, help us understand that a little bit. Um, you know, how is that? And, and do you, do you end up with really long relationships like years and decades to be successful or can you have, you know, shorter projects with, um, with, with, uh, with, with, with different groups? Well, I suppose some of that is dependent on the scope. We have, since we're out in Connecticut, you know, we have uh, good relationships with the uh, University of Connecticut and, uh, and, you know, University of Hartford. There's some other folks around here. Um, and uh, WPI is another one, Worcester Polytechnic Institute. So we, we use those kind of local ones. Those are kind of our feeders for, uh, for engineers uh, that come out of school. So we, we look to those places for that. Uh, and one way to do that is to have, they do these senior design projects. And so you're not going to do some gigantic, you know, PhD level paper with these guys. It's, it's typically one, you know, one year or one academic year along. So we start working with them in, a, in August uh, and then that'll carry through till the end of the year. And they've got to, you know, we kind of scope it so that it's, you know, the, the kids can actually do the work. Kind of ideally, it's like an analysis project that then turns into um, an actual. Hey, let's try and try this with uh, physical parts. Make some things. We can do some machining for them, um, and and then kind of prove out of the concept at the end. And what we look for in those projects is, you know, what what kind of small pro problem are we having in either manufacturing or uh, even in our, our engine lab, a certain test stand, hey, we've been trying to, you know, test this certain thing, but we just need somebody to apply their energy to it. Uh, so we've got a couple of those running this year with UConn. Um, so those are the smaller ones. And then, you know, the ideal world is you kind of create a little brand of Jacobs within that university. And so uh, we've been successful at that with UConn, and people kind of seek us out uh, afterwards, and that includes the Formula SAE guys and, and those a ton of our engineers are former Formula SAE uh, people that worked on those little cars because we're kind of one of the only automotive places out here. Well, I think it's just such an interesting thing. You know, we talk about STEM education, and you know, I've done some work with SAE Baja and some other areas, and it's just um, always find you know, I, I guess you know, from my own self, um, always find great value in it. But um, sometimes also don't find, you know, don't do enough of it, meaning, you know, it just it takes a, a like some kind of spark or some sort of real reason to go create those projects. Once yeah. it's done, it's almost always. So I, I, I'm wondering how uh, organizations or companies can can uh, make it a, a more intentional part of their business. I'm not saying Jacob does or doesn't, but you can, how, how does how does it become part of our work so we can get those benefits? Right. Well, I, I kind of see it as a, there's a bunch of facets to it. There's, there's, okay, this is an HR recruiting thing for, for some people uh, that we want to kind of create that pipeline in the future. It's also a way of getting some things done that we need to do it. Uh, and it's a bit of advertising. So you kind of have to take a, 
overall view and, and everybody's got to, you know, it costs some money to do this. It takes some engineers, you know, time. We've got to go out there and, you know, we kind of judge their senior projects and, and spend some time doing that. And so you have to kind of decide this thing is worth the investment and, and overall, you know, cause you're not going to say, Oh, just doing this one little thing, it'll totally pay off. It's more about, you know, you're getting, you're building your brand, you're, um, you know, you're, you're hopefully going to be able to recruit some, some new engineers um, and, and ultimately just kind of build that goodwill uh, within the local community. I would say we've got other, since we've been doing CDA and some other uh, technologies, uh, working with Southwest Research and so forth, we've over the years worked with um, UW-Madison and we've, you know, talked to some of the guys down there at whatever, Argonne National Laboratories and Purdue University and we've got some stuff currently going on with uh, West Virginia University um, and Sometimes they seek us out. Sometimes we seek them out. It kind of depends on kind of who makes the connection. But uh, we've had real good luck with uh, West Virginia the last couple of years. Actually, our intern, uh, not this last summer, but the previous, was uh, one of the guys that was working on some engine work there. Um, so it was great because we worked on a project with him. Then he came up here, worked over the summer on that project. And then when he went back to school, uh, he's actually testing, doing engine testing using some of our hardware. Uh, so that's worked out real well for us. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned is it short-term or long-term. I would say that's one of the more long-term ones. And you have to just realize that the pace of academia is not the pace of industry. <laughs> yeah, well, you sure rattled off with Southwest Research and, you know, the different universities. That's that's sort of the all-star team of, you know, oh. DOE lab. That's kind of the all-star team there. If you're if you're able to have relationships and, and work with those groups, you're going to you're going to just by nature be successful. So, well, Steve, it, 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 we're kind of running out of time, but it, it's such so refreshing to talk to somebody that's you know, out there working hard to improve diesel engines. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I truly also believe that, yeah, we've been improving them for a long time, but there's still some big changes, some big steps, some huge improvements still out there with the newest of technology. So um, good luck to all what you're doing there. Any any final thoughts as we kind of close this out? Um, as you say, I think we've got a long future in front of us, even, I mean, just the longevity of the, of any particular diesel engine. When you, you know, I see California's got legislation that says anything sold after uh, 2035 is going to have to be electric, but they're going to sell, somebody's going to sell a diesel engine there in, in 2034, and that thing's going to be on the road out there for 20 years or more. So we've got a lot of things we can do between now and then uh, to make the, make the diesel engine better and i think we gotta we gotta keep pushing it and keep pushing the envelope there a lot of uh, investment has moved over to the uh, electric side but there's still plenty of people like us working on the diesel engine you know we're seeing where, where we can do and kind of make to make the current stuff better even as we're working towards the future very good hey i'll gotta close it there thanks for chatting with me steve i i really enjoyed it and um good luck to you we'll look forward to more news from jacobs down the road Sounds good, Mike. Great efficiency with NACV's Mike Roth and Friends.